On June the 13th, I'll be hosting a launch event for a writing festival for the National Association for Primary Education. If you'd like to get your pupils talking about climate and the environment, ocean plastics, then this is the event for you. We're inviting people to come along so we can set the scene with Ellie Jackson, the author of the Wild Tribe Heroes book series, and you'll have the opportunity to get your pupils to write a story, send it in to us, and have some of these stories selected to be read out on the Nate podcast and printed in their professional journal, Primary First. For full information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. This is a live from the Bet Show EdTech special. I was delighted to be asked by ViewSonic to to go and chat to them and be part of their EdTech talks. And my conversation was all about the role of podcasts in education, marketing and education technology. And there's actually a recording of this conversation on their YouTube channel. There's going to be a link in the show notes. And, and the show notes are going to be your sort of best friend for this episode. I'm going to have time links in terms of who I speak to when and direct links through to the organisations and the companies and their websites and that kind of thing. So do check out the show notes and and find out all that information as you go through. It was great to work with ViewSonic because I'd had Peter Claxton on the show on episode 226 where he was talking about the the education philosophy and his ideals and experience and everything. So to get those sort of two things together, it's really worth checking that episode out as well. As I said, that's 226 and that gives you some some real sort of background on ViewSonic as well as the the short video recording of, of, of myself there obviously at BET. I then had a conversation with Professor Dr. Gare Grouse, OBE, and he's a member of BET's Global Education Council and also Global Director of Education for Kidzania. Now, this conversation was really insightful and a real call to arms in terms of bringing companies and education and, and a whole vision of what education should be, could be, and would be if we can get enough people on the same page and working together. So thank you so much to him, and I really hope that we're able to kind of make something tangible out of these discussions and these ideas to actually really just support everyone involved in education and and bring the skills and the the kind of ideas that you're going to hear in this episode um, to fruition. I also chatted to Alexa Joyce and she's the Digital Transformation and Skills Director for Microsoft and she works across Europe, the Middle East and Africa and so you know with some of these companies, some of these organisations you know we really do have this opportunity to to make such a a global difference and I think that's the thing which is so exciting and to have all these people in one place and and wanting to chat to me on the podcast is a real honour so thanks very much to everyone who's been involved. I chat to Cypher Learning and you may remember that I chatted to their founder Graham Glass on episode 244 so it was great to get to catch up with Cypher Learning and get some insights into their experience in BET and, and how the company's sort of moving forward with their, their new platform and how that's working through education. Also spoke to Sparks Learning and that was talking about maths and this idea of being able to support pupils in terms of practicing their skills and actually having taking the, the workload off of some of the teachers but also giving them the opportunity to be able to tweak things as well so you know you have systems and AI in place to help support children to learn and practice some of the maths that they've been doing but also with that kind of hands-on knowledge that teachers have been able to really make this as personalized as you possibly can which is a fascinating conversation. 
also chatted to Jamf and their Apple device management and and really understanding how you know what you get available from an Apple device but also how that fits into other organizations and other platforms that are working together and, and the fact that again it's not just about companies and devices now it's about a real ethos of learning and, and how all these situations and people and companies and organizations are able to come together to to have this child focused idea of learning and that's a real kind of exciting thing for me to hear these these sort of themes going through so many different conversations. I chatted to Matt Baker and he was from Class Technologies and he was sharing with me how they add teaching and learning tools to Zoom and with so many of us obviously having been online for a couple of years through the pandemic actually seeing how lots of these different tools which everyone used in the best way they could are now being really refined moving forward to to give us this kind of real understanding of how we can use remote, online, hybrid, blended, however you want to talk about it but real kind of powerful ways of being able to support children both face-to-face, but also in, like I said, that kind of hybrid, remote kind of way, in the best possible way, specifically designed for education and teachers. And then finally, I spoke to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it was a fantastic conversation in terms of understanding the the history of of obviously such an incredible organisation, but also how technology and the the modern version of Britannica is actually able to support you in education in terms of the classroom how it's been embedded within browsers and their partnerships with devices and things as well so thanks so much for them for chatting on the show and I really hope this just gives you like I said a flavor of bet an idea of what's going on and remember the show notes are your best friend in terms of finding exactly where these conversations are in the episode so you can move backwards and forwards if you if you wish so I really hope you enjoy this thank you so much indeed for listening and I hope you get a real flavour for Live from the Bet Show. Hello, Dr. Gare. Thank you so much for joining us on the Education on Fire podcast here at Bet. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, your passion for education and where that stemmed from, first of all. That's a very good question. Because um, I'm very old, it goes back a very long way. Uh, I, I think uh, my passion for education comes from the realisation uh, when I was about... 13 or 14 what a difference teachers can make i was i was a little bit of a of a grew up in the south of the netherlands i was a little bit of a naughty boy i didn't quite understand why i went to school i was i was kind of quite good i didn't try very hard but but the purpose bit i struggled with and then one day i and i was quite good at german i was good at languages and then one day i had this newly qualified teacher mr burskins who who after 10 minutes of the very first lesson, said to me, I'd like you to stay behind at the end of the lesson, please. And I literally thought, here we go again. You know, so, so I went, um, I stayed behind and uh, I went up to him and kind of hands in pocket, went, well, yes. And he said, I, I think you're really good. I've got a book for you that I'd like you to read. And it was the, the, the collected short stories by Heinrich Böll. And... Um, and it just took me by surprise. And I took the book and I went home and I read it. And like Oliver Twist, I went back the next day and kind of went, have you got another one? And he said, here's another one, Draußen vor der Tür, Wolfgang Borchert, if memory serves me right. And he let me keep the first one. I still got that at home. And, um, and I became a German teacher because I kind of understood out of the blue the difference that he was making. So when I put that slide up in my presentations, you know, just picture this, that in 50 years' time, if you're a teacher in 50 years' time, 
somebody will be mentioning your name, it's true, because I've just done it. And, and, and that's where my passion then came from in the sense that I understood that you didn't need to be the Secretary of State for Education to make a difference to the lives of children. Wow, I think, I think that's really important because for me that's always the thing. I think lots of us would like us to wake up the next morning and education look like so many people would like it to be, which is slightly different than it is today, shall we say. Um, but it's, it's always that question I get asked is, well, what, what difference do I make? What can I do? It's only one person. But it really is that kind of ripple effect, isn't it? Of yeah. If it affects one person, that's going to affect the whole community that they're involved and in. And I think, I think one of the things that we need to do as teachers, uh, we need to focus on the impact we have on children, right? Because education, it, it's an impact partnership. You don't do it on your own. You do it with other people, with other organizations. But what we're doing too much of is we're focusing on how well we serve the system. How many of my children get a nine at GCSE, get an A star at A level, right? Get a level whatever at the end of primary. Um, in my school, do we get good or outstanding? And actually you can do all those things without mentioning the word child once. But the issue is when, when the little youngster goes home on the night time, what have I done? What's different? What's better? what's shinier, what, what's more smiley, what's more thoughtful. And, and those are the bits that, that matter. So we need to be brave enough. So I, I, I often say this, you know the, the Ofsted banners that many schools have that say outstanding. Well, all that you are is you are outstanding in compliance, right? And, and, and I think by focusing on the children and knowing our children, we can be outstanding in practice. And... I think that's a better place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And you started there just saying something which I, I, I really love, which is that kind of being fearless and, and, and doing what you know is right, despite, like you say, the need for compliance yeah. and that kind of thing. And what, what do you think it takes for a leadership team or a head or, or a school in general to, to take that on board to actually try and implement it? I think it's, a, I mean, in the end, you see, I think we overcomplicate things. I, I think one of, the, one of the real problems is that in our system we overcomplicate. In the end, every, all these schools, these, these wonderful little and, and sometimes big places, they have their mission statements and their values and their vision statements. Well, if they mean something, if you really mean them, then live by them. Otherwise, don't have them, right? Otherwise, make your mission statement, I want to be outstandingly compliant. Brilliant, because if that's what your mission statement is, then you've succeeded and you can go and buy the banner. But if your values are about human rights, are about fairness, are about equity, are about the best for each child, then focus on that bit. And, and if you look on the, at the current class and act as a role model, you know, like my German teacher, make yourself the person that your youngsters want to be. And if it can't be you, then it'll be somebody else that you might introduce them to because you're just not the only purveyor of knowledge where you are the project leader of a child's learning and, and, and many factors can be brought into account. And I think, I think that's the bit that we need to focus on. And if you look in the current climate where our leaders are not role models, our leaders do not live by values, our principles. I mean, without being political, we have a prime minister who lies to people. I cannot turn round to my children and say, that's what you should be like. So as a leader in a school, 
it becomes my moral duty not to condemn individuals, but to say truth, trust, and transparency matter. And if you live by those three, you won't go far wrong. The more we live in a time of adversity in terms of those three things and the principles, the more we need to stand up and be counted. The standing up and be counted is not standing against a Secretary of State or against the government. It is standing up for the children. I love that. And I think as, as soon as it's about a child-first focus on anything that you do, whether it's a hello, a conversation, like you say, can I just yes. introduce you to this? Then, like I say, you can't go far wrong. And, and yeah. I think, I guess that's where, like I say, the, the adults yes. and the leaders are kind of the important factors then. Um, so tell us a little bit about, we're, we're here at BET, what is it that you've been doing at the event and, and, and what, did, what does sort of BET mean to you? So, so it's an, this is an interesting, this has been my favourite BET ever. And, and, uh, and I'm not sure that this is the right thing to say, right, as I look at my BET colleague over there. Um, the reason this is the best BET is because people are here because they can be. I've never seen that many people happy and smile, right? So in the past, it, it, it's impressive, it's tech-focused, it has the education angle, it's serious, it has big names and all that stuff. But this time, there is a sense of, I'm here for the first time in two years. I'm being let out. I'm having a great time. So, so, and it feels like, I hope it stays like this. I hope that next year is like this. And, and I think, you know, w what is it that BET does? In the end, you have to be of a mindset to get out and discover things. So, so by the virtue of the fact that people have got on trains, planes and automobiles and all that kind of stuff and got here means that there is a, a meeting of like-mindedness. And what I do sense this time more than anything is this time the, the like-mindedness is more about the ed and not so much about the tech. And, and in my view, that's the right way around. So I'm having a ball. I really love that. And I think I find it really interesting because um, I was chatting on the ViewSonic stand earlier on and we were talking about podcasting and the role, role that is and they, they were sort of asking me about you know how you get going in podcasting and that kind of thing and I, I said the same sort of thing is it's, it's not about what microphone you want to buy or, or how you put it onto the internet it's about what's the conversation you want to have with the people you're talking to yeah. and so you know lots of schools are thinking now oh I want to be content creating I want the children to be saying what they're doing we want to be talking to the families direct we want to have that atmosphere and when you've got a clear vision on what it is that you're trying to do the podcast or like you say any given technology just enables you to do that in a in the best possible way and in an innovative way as you go forward and I think you're right that sort of we're about the community, the education, and what we're trying to do, and we're using all the tools that we have to make that possible. Yeah, I, th I think we need to, uh, and I think there, there's that issue, isn't there, of good tech versus tech for good, and I think it is about tech for good, and and I, I sit on 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 the BET Global Advisory Council, Education Council, and and I very much enjoy this because you meet globally like-minded people who who can sit back and reflect sometimes. And, and, and the bit that, that I think is the most challenging bit post-COVID, and one, we have to be really careful. There's a lot of patting on the back going on at the moment, kind of saying, didn't we do well? Yes, we did. There was an Education 999 call, and we responded brilliantly. The schools, the teachers, all the staff were amazing. However, 
They were in, in the sixth largest economy in the world. There were too many children who did not have internet access at home. There were too many children who were working from shared devices. And the gap between have and have not, equaling the gap between can and cannot, has got bigger. Now, this is a conversation we need to have. We cannot pretend that a Secretary of State driving around handing out laptops was the solution. It was not. There is an honest conversation to be had. That the other lesson to be learned from the pandemic is government doesn't bring about change. It is incapable of doing so. We have had this government for 12 years and we're still talking about being world-beating in literacy. So government needs to enable partnerships and businesses for good and NGOs to steer the innovation and drive the solutions. And then government needs to get behind this. And by doing so, taking calculated risks. We need change because otherwise all that stuff about levelling up is just rhetoric. And, you know, there's, there's too much hype and not enough substance. And we need to stand up just like Marcus Rashford stood up for the kids who were hungry, there needs to be a group of people who stand up for the kids who are hungry in learning terms and cannot be fed because of the lack of infrastructure. I agree. And, and just finally, as we, as we wrap up, do you see a way, an obvious way for that forward? Because like you say, there are lots of companies here. There are lots of innovations. There are lots of opportunities to, to bring all these things into schools. Um, and whether that's kind of the, the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world or, or whoever who are kind of sort of trying to push that further and further forward, does it need to be someone with an awful lot of opportunity that can help everyone in the masses? Or is it a little bit like we said about that one teacher that's helping one person? Is it a combination of everybody it's, trying to do that? I, I, th I think it's, it's, it's a combination of everything, isn't it? I mean, we mustn't I go back to, 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 to when we started this conversation, the, the power of the individual and the change that we can bring about. But we can't bring about all the change as teachers. We need help from elsewhere. And, and at some point or other, you know, let's talk to BET about BET 2023. Let's get all these companies in one room at a dinner and let's get, I don't know, the educational Bob Geldof to stand up at some point and say, well, who's going to be with us then? Are you businesses for good or are you just bean counters? Are you wanting to make a difference or is it just the profit you're after? Are you looking at return on investment or are you prepared to look at return on involvement? And, and then let's see, and, and my guess is, having met a good number of the people here, the majority will get behind. We need to empower people to do this. We need to enable them to do this. Because otherwise, in 10 years' time, you and I, 10 years older, will still be sitting here and nothing will have happened. So, so it is that combination of, of course, as you know, brilliant teachers change brilliant things. But at the same time, as, as my wife says in her school, every child is everyone's responsibility. Well, let's be counted then. I love that. So if we can find the Bob Geldof of, of what we need, then that, that's, that's a very clear intention of, of what it is that we should do. And it's a, it's a fantastic call to arms, like you say, to all those companies. And, and like you, the conversations I've had so far are that supportive one. They want change. They're just not quite sure how they go about it. And I think, like you say, having someone that can 
help voice that message, someone that's actually able to coordinate the business side to the education side with the child as the focus in the middle. Yeah. I think that will then yeah. start to deliver And, and I things. think what's really important is that we, we bravely distinguish between the privatization of education and the involvement of business for good. They are two very, very different things. And, and we need all to be part of the watchdog to make sure that that, does, that bit doesn't go wrong. Well, I think there's another podcast all in itself, which I think will be a fascinating conversation. <laughs> would, but anyway, Dr. Would. Gale, thank it you would. so much for joining me today. It's been fascinating. My, my pleasure, Mark. Thanks ever so much. Alexa, thank you so much for joining us here at BET. Tell us a little bit about your role within Microsoft and, and some of what that day-to-day -day looks like. So it's brilliant to be here with you and to be here at BET in London. Um, so I'm the Director for Digital Transformation and Skills for Europe, Middle East and Africa in the Microsoft Education team. And what that means day-to-day -day is that I might in the morning be speaking to students who want to learn about AI and get themselves on the path to an AI-enabled job. Um, in the afternoon, I might be speaking to a minister of education who's thinking about how they can reinvigorate the curriculum and digital platforms for teaching and learning. And then I could also be speaking to teachers or faculty thinking about how can they innovate around their digital pedagogies and introducing computer science into the curriculum, uh, robotics, AI, machine learning, all of those kinds of things. Fantastic. So I think varied would be <laughs> definitely... Uh, Quite varied, <laughs> yes. Could do. Um, so what are you sort of hoping to not achieve from being at BET, but what's the message? What, what's the kind of the sort of the, the goal, as it were, that you'd like to sort of people to sort of take away from, from your point of view? So being here at BET is about, you know, obviously reconnecting with the whole education community after being apart for so long. And it's really amazing to see so many people here again and uh, really get the opportunity to hear about how they've experienced things and what during the lockdowns in their schools and in their school systems and how their teachers and students are doing and at the same time we also want to make sure that we're here as Microsoft to support that continued reimagining of education as we come through the post-pandemic period obviously a lot of educators have been through difficult circumstances schools have been through difficult circumstances readjusting and responding to everything that's happened but i think also now that we're coming out of that hopefully um, we do have a need to really reimagine how we think about education in a much more equitable way there's much more diversity in terms of student achievement in classrooms now than there was before. And so at Microsoft, we want to make sure that our tools, that our solutions, um, that our apps, um, that it's really clear to schools and to teachers um, how they can use those to ensure that classrooms are more equitable and inclusive, whether they're virtual classrooms or whether they're face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I think that can be a real issue, can't it, in terms of people think ed tech and they suddenly see a million company names and a million different apps and all that kind of thing and 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 so where, where do you sort of feel that you're able to to guide them in that way obviously they know the name and it's something which will have been with them for a long time but specifically how that might look within uh, their particular classroom or, or their sort of plan for their future yeah so that's a great question i think um 
one of the things that we try to do is make it easier, first of all, for schools and for teachers to access all of their apps and learning tools in one place and use Teams, for instance, as the jump off point to integrate all of the different tools that they need into one place so that students can always go back to one familiar interface and not be having to learn a hundred different ways to get in and a hundred different passwords, etc. So really um, how can we support in terms of it being a hub for learning through through teams and then I think um, as well when we look more at you know if it's a school leader or even a decision maker in a local authority or a department for education to think about what does the big picture strategy look like for digital transformation of teaching and learning but also of the way that the schools are organized so um, how can we take advantage of things like um, new apps for learning like reading progress that can help to support every single student get better at, at reading right the way through to thinking about um, how can we stay better in contact with parents and how can we use data insights to really understand where we need to focus support the most. And like we mentioned the, the pandemic just before there what sort of insights did you have to view in terms of any data that came through in terms of the amount of students that weren't able to necessarily access those things whether it's due to actual technology or internet or, or whatever the, the problems were yeah so i think that's was a a huge shock particularly for european countries but and, and in the uk as well i think there was an assumption that oh we're big developed western countries everybody has access and it was a bit of a shock to the system that actually maybe they don't I mean, I, I literally read stories about here in London of people having to make a decision between going and buying additional data for their children to continue reading, uh, to continue learning, or going out and buying food because they didn't have the internet at home, they didn't necessarily have the devices at home. And it's kind of crazy to think that that's still the case somewhere like England. Um, so I think that was, first of all, one big shock was actually how many students really didn't have access. And so we saw globally actually a huge rush to go out and get additional devices for students almost everywhere in the world because that was a real challenge and then from the Microsoft standpoint we were really in the education team almost like first responders we were working 24-7 to help every single education system stand up platforms where they didn't have them, train teachers where teachers weren't ready for digital pedagogy, um, help create parent guides on how they could support kids at home. And so, um, you know, that whole idea that for me, being in ed tech for 22 years, we spent so long saying to teachers, please use digital pedagogy. It's really good. There's reasons why you should. And it was hard to convince a lot of teachers. But then the pandemic came along and every single teacher understood that this is pretty much the only way we can continue learning in this context so I better skill myself up overnight and they by and large did so and so I think now that we're coming out onto the other side what's been really interesting is that looking from the Microsoft side we can see actually that the tool usage yes has dropped a bit as schools have gone back to face-to-face -face, but it's dropped nowhere near to the pre-pandemic levels so teachers parents children have adjusted to new ways of teaching and learning and keeping in touch um, which are persistent and so that's the real opportunity now as we reimagine education is to build on that digital capacity that we have that we didn't have before and really move into something that is rich engaging inclusive 
um, and equitable in a way that we couldn't before. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Like, say, you've actually got the data, you can see exactly how it's being used, and that can sort of, like, say, spark those conversations. And I, and I think one of the things that the pandemic really showed was EdTech, I think, for some people, seems frightening because there's just so much to learn. Except when you're in that crisis point, you only need to learn what you need to learn in order to do what you want to do. And I think then that sort of when needs must kind of attitude means that you forget the fear factor of it. You just want to do the best you can with what you have. And I think that sort of attitude works quite well wherever you are in the EdTech journey in any given school is, you know, what are you trying to do? How can you do make that first step to go about it? And I guess that's, like I say, where those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also been some innovation in terms of the models for, for helping teachers understand that as well. So something that I've been involved in, which has been really exciting, is the concept of live lessons. So um, together with the Minecraft education team and um, experts from around the world, we've been organizing live lessons where teachers and students could come online together. And so what was really exciting about that was it was the opportunity for the teachers to see what does game-based learning look like? How can I do remote learning with something like Minecraft, which looks like a kind of intimidating, challenging ed tech tool, but actually is really easy to adapt to the classroom once you can see how others have done it. So. Um, those live lessons gave them examples and models that they could then follow, but at the same time helped um, teachers in terms of giving a great chunk of really exciting curriculum content in a new way that engaged students. And um, just from my side, seeing my own son during the lockdown, um, getting online in Minecraft with his peers was one of the only times where I saw like that really playful kind of communication between kids rather than a more serious type of learning scenario and um, so I think it was it was really powerful to see how it could be not just learning the curriculum content but cre creating that social emotional learning scenarios and the community glue that's so important for learning. Exactly and that's the thing I think people never quite believed was that like say the positive social aspect of being online because it's always deemed to be not in person so therefore it's not social and, and like you my children were the same it was that kind of it was the thing that kept them together the groups they were in the conversations they were having and like you say it was outside of the so-called classroom lessons a lot of the time it was it, it was those sorts of things um, and one thing that you mentioned there which I think is really really important is that is the learning together part because I think is there's a little bit of fear involved in teachers thinking I need to know everything and I'm then passing that on and especially in technology but I think that idea of I'm not quite sure about this but we're going to learn this together and it may well be that you know a little bit more than me so if you can just show me it's a difficult thing to do isn't it but it's a, it's a very powerful learning experience I think. Yeah absolutely and I think Minecraft's a typical example of that you know kids are always going to know more about Minecraft than, than our generation does and letting them go ahead and be the experts in using the tool and how they can build things in that world is is empowering for them and a great part of the learning process but where teachers have an amazing value to add is around critical use of technology what's good online behavior how do you interact with others and, and they know all of that um, and students don't so it's really about creating that space where the the pupils can do things that they're great at doing, but also add in your own specific knowledge on top of that and build on what others have done. I mean, particularly in Minecraft, we've got a huge selection of really great curriculum-oriented worlds that teachers can pull from. So we don't expect teachers to go out and be great Minecraft builders, but they can just go and access all of that content and start to use it in their classrooms and, and 
let the kids go. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, let the kids go. I love that absolutely. Um, so just as we as we round up, we're sort of here lunchtime on day two. What does the the rest of the event look like for you in terms of what you're going to be doing? Oh, so it's going to be non-stop meetings with other partners, other organisations who are doing things in the edtech space and with um, with the schools and with the school systems. So it's. Um, yeah, it's going to be going to be full on for the rest of the time at Bet. Good. We'll look after your voice and I wish you the very best with it all. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hello, we're back here with Cypher Learning and we had a podcast with Graham Glass not that long ago, which was um, great to get the background in terms of what it was all about. And so here we are in Bet and we're getting a real sort of opportunity to get a, a kind of a bird's eye view of, of what you're able to share for the people that have been coming around to Bet and some insights into what it is. So would you like to just introduce yourself first of all and let everybody know what your role is within, within your yeah, organization? Thank you very much. I'm Yuri Rangel. I'm the Vice President of Sales and EdTech from Cypher Learning. We are preparing a fantastic strategy this year to collaborate with different partners to, to find different markets and expand constantly and uh, incrementing our growth in the world with a fantastic platform and with the great news related to our new branding, related to our products and innovation in the intelligent learning platform. I know one of the things that, that um, Graham was very keen to stress was the fact that people get used to the what they perceive to be the norm of the technology in terms of they're used to using a Google Classroom or something like that. And he was he was very keen to share the fact that there's a whole world much further beyond that kind of thing. So can you share with us a little bit about what makes it different than what people may know from that sort of Google Classroom or, or, or that kind of setup? Our experience, it's been a period of emergency and most of the schools all over the world reacted to the pandemic with this emergency. And uh, now, they start understanding a bit better that they need to build a long-term relationship and a strategy and the learning strategy. So we're finding that the main goal is they have invested in some technologies already and they're looking for a real way to consolidate their strategy with a powerful platform that can bring all these tools and consolidate them in one solution, one point of contact, and we're doing great on that. Uh, part of what Cypher Learning is doing and working deeply now is to understanding if, if, if one point of contact with all these technologies and make a smart approach for the long-term relationship with our customers. Yeah, fantastic. And like, so you get that continuation of everything that's going on. Has there been anything surprising um, while you've been here at BET for these last couple of days? Any Anything which you a question that you weren't expecting or, or something which you find interesting? Well, for real, we, we know that the people is coming back and that's what we're finding. A lot more people, a lot more interest. But the questions and answers that we've been facing these days are, are slightly different because they are more focused, they are understanding what a net tech solution means and probably it's a consequence of what we have lived in this time. So decision makers uh, are coming by the booth in a, in a very knowledgeable way so they really know more about what they want about what they need and that's an interesting thing but also a lot of organizations are looking for the partnerships to build real synergies and so we have found I don't know a lot more uh, organizations looking and understanding that there's a way to consolidate and build e-learning ecosystems in a better way 
because the experience is that these isolated solutions are not working anymore because now, as I've said at the beginning, the people knows more because they had to through this pandemic and they're moving forward and looking a better consolidation of what they're looking in the market. Yeah, I love that idea about, like you say, real focus and understanding because we've lived through sort of a technical development even though no one necessarily thought they were going to have to do it whether it was on the back burner or whether it was coming and like I say they're now able to do it in a way which is we know what we would wanted to have achieved or what we'd like it to look like but we're not quite sure and I guess that's where the, the, all the excitement starts really. And I think it's about building resiliency that we didn't have. We reacted as an emergency in the pandemic but now the schools understand that, that we cannot have the same situation or scenario for the long term and that's what I mean when I was saying about long term strategies because they really want to have a resilient solution that can also be linked with the corporation and we were mentioning about all these relationships from K to two, K, pre-K to K to 12, K20 but right now, and it's part of a critical component of our solution, that's also linked to the vocational training and with the corporate training. So they're gonna find a seamless strategy moving forward, even into the corporate and government level. And that's what we're providing. Right now, we have a great platform with endless possibilities. And that's what it's making us really strong in this market. And what the people, and we've seen this, the people is reacting with enthusiasm in front of cipher learning products and uh, I think it's also why we are now pushing harder in cipher learning because we know that we we can gather all these different possibilities and our adoption strategy is making a difference also on how we're approaching to the customer they know that they are not just purchasing technology but that real company that embrace them on understanding these new new challenges that they face in the pandemic but for the long term, a real solution on what they are forecasting as part of the strategy. It's really interesting. I had a conversation earlier today with someone and he was talking about how sort of businesses and education work together because you know, education is quite set in the way that it goes about it, but it knows that it can't do it all on its own. It needs extra support and businesses and obviously here with an ed tech um, show, it's about that, having that ability to, to get the technology you, you need to put it in. But one of the things he was saying is that they're not, some companies aren't sure how to sort of give those skills or to get those skills into their business that they want coming out. They're, they're able to give money or they, they donate some resources or something, but it's a very much sort of hands-off view. And what I love about what you've been talking about here is the fact that children are getting an absolute insight into what the platform is and what it's doing. And then, as you said, they can seamlessly use those into all different parts of their life if they're going into an entrepreneurship or, or businesses as well. And I think that kind of hands-on learning without even knowing you're learning has to be something which is pretty special. And the process of learning, it's as it is. It's a life process. So we cannot unlink them. We shouldn't unlink them. But that's what is happening with our education programs all over the world. They are on link from the corporate side when those skills should be generated and linked to the job they have right now and being developed in that process. Uh, so that's what we're trying also to build. The skills development platform that we have part of the ILP solution, it's attached to that. So we really want to generate the path to, to aggregate value to the skills and uh, building the evidences uh, that are required 
to standardize them for the long term so I can get the job I want. If I want to be an astronaut, I have the competencies and I have all the skills required to get there and the path is there. It's clearly attached to what we've been doing. So it's clearly there. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's really important. And I think the, the most amazing thing is the fact that at no point do we talk about and this is the software you need, or this is the thing, like you say, it's about, this is the vision of what you want, and, and we're able to support that in the way. Um, I, I love the fact that if you ask a child to do something, they don't start with, I'm just gonna get a pen and paper and just write a few things down. They start with, okay, I'm gonna get my device out, or I'm gonna use a platform that I want to do to kind of get things going. And the sooner that becomes an integral part of what schools are able to do and sort of adapt to the fact that they've been learning with technology since they were born you know that that has to be a, a definite educational step forward even if it's not a system change it's a practical change and that's an important thing because the one of the challenges is technology it's in this constant evolution we all know that so what it's going to be there forever is that competency and how we're mapping those competencies is the critical component for the for the for the individual's life that's that would live with them for their entire life and how they are. So we need to empower the teachers, we need to empower the people and all the individuals to, to find the way on understanding better. And all this is data at the end. We're going to connect machine learning, we're going to connect whatever it's technology in that specific moment to those competencies to validate them. We, some, some, some organizations aren't even talking about blockchain for the competencies. And, and many other technologies are entering into this game because what is important is how we get there and how we can validate for real those competencies to make them uh, assess or, or for real certified for the, in different levels. We know that our students now are gonna live in different countries, most likely. Well, that's what we're looking for. So, but how we're gonna validate their competencies in the country that it's in the other side of the border. Uh, I think these standards needs professional system and platforms that can evolve and grow their technology with the individuals to provide them with the right certificates, with the right uh, evaluations. So they will be always attached to this long life, long term, experience and relationship yeah. and it makes perfect sense doesn't it because everything you do you have data for which makes a even more of a, a mockery of um the gcse idea that, that everything you've learned boils down to this one day on this particular paper and this you know there's no need for it to be like that because like you say there's all the ongoing learning happening all the time which like i say if it can be packaged in a way to show what your competencies are then that has to be competency-based learning i think it's a key factor we need to evolve for real from that quantitative assessment that we're used. One exam, memorize the questions, memorize the answers, and you will be in the next level to something that is more the life experience or the competency. If we can, we can for real evaluate that evolution, we're gonna have more skills people. We can validate not only the academic skills, but the life skills together to make better individuals, more skill, and better person also in life. Well, I think that's a perfect place to finish because aiming to be the perfect person in life that you can be is, is the aim for everybody, isn't it? So thank you so much for sharing your, your story with us today and, and best of luck for the rest of the time.
Thank you very much, Shozo. Hi, Colin. Thank you for joining us here. We've stepped outside into the beautiful sunshine here in London. Um, so there's a lot less background noise apart from some of the traffic rather than <laughs> lots of people talking. So thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. So let's start with what, what is Sparks? What, what, what does it do and, and how is it involved in education? So Sparks is a, an online platform that delivers personalised maths practice to students and our sort of f- founding belief is that... Um, practice changes you so we work with schools to ensure that students um, do the right amount of practice to ensure that they can improve their confidence and attainment in mathematics. I love that because as a as a musician I, I, I teach in a couple of schools <laughs> doing um, timpani and percussion and drum kit and and this is uh, one of my recent things is the kind of how often do you do maths even if you did no homework ever <laughs> you're doing it on a regular basis and in a productive way and I think that that's kind of they kind of associate that then with their own practice with the music but I think they can see how that kind of works yeah 100% that's one of the things we're really into is that regularity of practice little and often you know sometimes with music as you just mentioned sometimes your teacher comes in gives you some fundamentals and then makes you practice in between sessions that's the bit we're trying to do at Sparks for Maths we're trying to do that practice in between uh, when the te- when the children are lucky enough to get the teachers to teach them, we try and do the sort of bit between the music classes yeah. type thing. <laughs> um, and and how does it work in terms of, I guess, what the teachers see, what the children see, how how that then fits into what their classroom lesson would have looked like? Sure. So. Um, one of the things we, we think is really important is that what the children see is very simple. They log on and uh, they interact with questions in a, in, in a very easy way. They could just get going super quickly. They're told that the, the, the questions are personalised to them. They get help and video support should they be stuck and they can reach out to their teacher if they're stuck. From a, from a, a teacher point of view, again, we want to make it really easy and we've, we've worked with schools with a philosophy of can we automate and support you with some of the heavy lifting but crucially you, um, we'll, we'll try and do as much as we can for you but you can intervene at any time if we're not doing it quite the way you want you want us to do it so it's that philosophy of strong default positions a lot of automation a lot of trying to do the heavy lifting for teachers but crucially teachers can change anything about the decisions we make and I guess that's the thing isn't it if you feel like you've got that autonomy but without all those extra hours of having to create whatever it is that's going to support them, then that's a bit of a win-win for everybody. Exactly that. I mean, uh, as an example, one of the things we, we do is we, we personalise the homework to children based on uh, our algorithms sort of predict how well a child, a child is working at maths at any current time. And the homework is pitched on, on the basis of, of that level. Um, we do deliver thousands of homework to hundreds of thousands of kids. In, in 97% of the cases, teachers think we're spot on. In 3% of the cases, teachers actually change what we think. And um, they do it because they know something from looking in the whites of the eyes of their children that we don't know that the technology can't pick up. So the teachers feel really confident and comfortable that they can change things should they need to. But we're getting it right almost all the time, like a lot of the time for them. And yeah, it really yeah. helps them out. Yeah, well that, 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 that's a really uh, great position to be in, isn't yeah. it? And, and that's the beauty of technology. If it can work in that way, then like you say, the heavy lifting's done and you and then just go through. Um, so you talked about homework and, and, and children. What sort of age group are you, are you working with and, and, and what sort of level are they working at? So we, uh, at the moment, mainly focus on, on secondary schools, Mark, in, in the UK and, and uh, overseas as well. So we'd be working with children who's like maybe 11 to 16 years old, coming up to their GCSEs or IGCSEs, having just started um, secondary school from primary. And how do they find it 
in terms of what they might have experienced in primary? Is there sort of that kind of, oh, we used to do it like this and now we do it like that? Or is it kind of, it's quite nice because we're growing up in a big school now and <laughs> there's a whole new sort of different way of, of sort of interacting? That's really interesting. I think there's a, um, there's a, there's a piece of work there that we've probably got more work to do on and how to transition children really effectively from primary to secondary. We, um, we have sort of content and scaffolding for students who struggle with that transition um, but actually it's a bit like what you said children kind of like the, the the new approach they feel you know children 11 years old they like they like things that look a bit uh, mature and adult so we, we we have it looking like that it's not very gamified and, and that works well with our children they feel like oh a bit of a promotion into secondary school a bit of a promotion in in terms of maths practice too hopefully yeah and um and and what is it that you're sort of your sort of goal is for doing is it just to give them the most support they can so they can achieve the the best results they can at the end of the day or is there also that something that they they get on a on a kind of a today basis in in terms of I guess their their confidence like you said before and that kind of thing yeah I think our our sort of founding principle is we believe that practice changes you the power of practice to to be good at music to be good at mathematics to get good at public speaking to to whatever that that is critical so we're we 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 um in in mathematics we're trying to show children that if they do this regular deliberate practice it can enable them to start feeling confident start having success and there's often a flywheel in in the world where you get a bit of success you don't mind doing something you do a bit more you get get that feeling of success so we're really into that to help with mathematics and their attainment but also um we'd like to think that um potentially a little bit deeper that children are just generally learning that something they find hard they can do a lot better at through practice and maybe they can apply that to other things in their life as well yeah I think that's really important and I think one of the things that I remember from being at school is that sense of we've covered that now and then at some point in the future you either realize I didn't get it the first time or now I've got to try and relearn it because it was so long ago um and 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 like we were we sort of alluded to that kind of sense of I didn't quite get it maybe in class and I, I want to ask but I'm not sure but you've then got that sort of safety net of now I can really spend a bit of time with it in my own time and, and build into what it and then if I've got a absolutely. question I can then get the support I need uh, absolutely that like that we are, we, we um, supplement what's happening in classroom teaching give children that bit more practice to solidify in their in their memories and also part of our algorithm actually um, tries to do some space retrieval practice as well and pick up on students' weakness. So not only are they getting practice about something they may have covered in class recently, but our system automatically will bring that back maybe six weeks later, maybe 13 weeks later, just at the point maybe you're forgetting it and you need a re, uh, refresh. We, we try and automate that and help, help students and, and their teachers with that too. Yeah, fantastic. And, and in terms of BET, what have you, um, what have you experienced today? What, what's your sort of goal and, and <laughs> sort of experience of being here? I guess it's, it's really nice to have an event, uh, you know, after the last couple of years. And I've met a lot of teachers, met a lot of like people that really care about students and people really trying to deeply understand how schools and children work. And it's just quite interesting to, to have a chance to, to, to hear from others, learn from others and, and, and meet teachers again. They've, we've seen a lot of students walking around. It's kind of cool to, to see them and it, let them tell us about how good, you know, Sparks is working for them as well. Yeah, and, and, I th- and I think that, that there's been a bit of a theme for the day, actually, which is really encouraging, that 
there's there's this sort of wholehearted want and desire, which I think has always been there, but I think it's just articulated more now in terms of that child focus, child centre. What can we do to help? And a sense that all this amazing technology, um, both sort of from a software point of view and a hardware point of view, is a tool to to get to the point like you've alluded to, you know, in terms of that confidence and that support and all that kind of thing. And I think there seems to be a nice sort of growth in all of all, all of that, which even if it is an articulation, is it's definitely a positive way forward. I think. I think. I think so. I think that the, the the people here today have committed, you know, committing their lives to to this thing. Um, really, what we're doing is enabling teachers, uh, you know, and students to, to to be the best they can, and supporting them in the challenges that that they have. That has to be front and center. It's it's no good, sort of just. Um, you know, something I don't like it sometimes is disruption. Is it, is it, education doesn't sort of like that word. This is a tricky word, right? We don't want disruption. We want, we want, the, we want the calm a little bit. You know, we've had a lot of disruption the last few years. The tech that kind of seamlessly fits in empowers teachers, helps teachers be super teachers, helps students um, do what they're already going to do, but in a more efficient way. I think that's really where there's a good power and synergy. Yeah. And, and I think from, from what you've said today, that, that makes perfect sense because I can imagine both myself from a maths point of view and also having teenagers sort of going <laughs> through the system as well. It, so this has happened. Here's the support. Here's the chance to practice. Yeah. You're not just sitting in front of a book, hopefully sort of going through things, like you say, with the, the technology and the AI and the support and that kind of constant learning based on you. I mean, I mean that's a whole different game, isn't it? That's it. Children really, really appreciate that that element to, to, to what we're doing that that it's not one size fits all it's not cookie cutter it's very bespoke to them um it it's really trying to drive them forward and they buy into that you know um it's not maybe as personal as a, as a you know a teacher looking in the whites of your eyes but knowing that this system is preparing my homework in a way that's really suitable for me and it's different to the other kid i'm sitting next to who needs something different i think that's really cool and kids like that yeah and, and like i say I'm very much a believer of personalised learning, oh, of and, and and that's kind of what we, I guess we're talking about here. But in a way that doesn't detract from anybody else, you can do your own thing in your own way, in the safety of of, of your learning environment, and that's brilliant. Exactly that. I mean, we, we, yeah, that and and that's a really good point. That's why we sort of we want to be the extra support outside the classroom, and I think that's where this personalisation can really help can help with the the learning in school, help with um, the reinforcement. What, what what we sort of not got to be a bit careful we, we wouldn't want to be in the world where maybe this is happening in school all the time where kids are just sitting there in front of a computer all day and just working through their learning journey and they don't need an adult we, we, we still think that's critical we're, we're the bit you know like we said at the start in between the sort of you know the music classes we're the bit to, to, to help you get to the next stage and help be sure you're ready for next lesson absolutely and that's a great that's a great place to finish <laughs> off from that musical standpoint it's that kind of there's nothing better than being in an ensemble or a band or an <laughs> orchestra with all those people doing amazing things but i also well know that the 10,000 hour rule also certainly applied to me in terms of making sure I was in a position to be able to do it. So exactly. uh, the two things do go hand in hand. Colin, thanks so much for yeah, chatting. Really pleasure, Mark. Re really appreciate it and enjoy the rest of bets. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Mark. Hello, thanks for joining us here at BET. Tell us who are you and what is it that you're here sharing with the world of EdTech? Hi there, my name's Aaron Webb. I'm the uh, Education Product Marketing Manager at Jamf. Um, who look after device management for Apple devices um, in schools across the world. Fantastic. And we had a little chat just before we started recording and we're, we're seeing a real 
shift, I guess, in some ways, but that idea that everybody now has got a much more sort of child focused approach to education no matter what tech you're involved in no matter what it is that you're providing for schools I think we're realizing that these are the tools which are providing the education solution really yeah 100% we've um, we've we've mainly dominated the market in terms of device management but we go beyond so much more than that with our um, additional offering that we bring in terms of our education uh, whole product experience so everyone knows Jamf or the people that do have Jamf known us for um, managing Apple devices in the classroom uh, in across school districts but the growth um, prior to the pandemic, something that we launched was Jamf Teacher, that actually puts those same management tools in the hands of teachers in the classroom. Um, we've also got a Jamf parent app as well, which is super important because coming out of the uh, pandemic, schools have issued devices that have gone home. Parents want to be in control or be more involved in that learning process. So to be able to have a, a, a tool that enables parents to be empowered to really um, make sure that students succeed is super, super important. And that's something that we've extended to going beyond the IT admin to make sure that everyone who's involved in the success of students is really sort of empowered to use the technology, not just from a device management point of things, but also from the tools that they need to make it so much easier to embrace the Apple experience um, that they expect. Yeah, and I, and I think for me, it's that kind of the difference between my child's going to school and I get a newsletter in a parent's evening for five minutes once a year and that kind of thing to we're fully inclusive because we knew what I needed to help my daughter or son with during the pandemic I was sort of having to market or oversee all that stuff so that inclusivity was sort of forced upon us but like you say that's given us the opportunity to keep that going I think and keep that community around the child you know you've got the school you've got the community you've got the family and everyone that's supporting any given child and then the more we can bring that together I guess that's kind of what you're talking about yeah and it's also we're also super conscious that it's just another thing for a night uh, for a teacher to be uh, put upon but during the pandemic so the fact that we've now um, rolled out in September with the Jamf educator program to really offer that CPD to staff and to the uh, curriculum directors the ed tech coaches to actually help support the rollout of these tools because they've just been um, uh, loaded upon to see here's another tool to help facilitate the learning either in class or at home so we developed a platform called the Jamf Educator platform that actually enables them to take a online simulation based um, uh, course to actually experience what the tools can look like in their um, safety of their own environment and then that helps them adopt it a lot easier because they're up to speed, they can do it in their own time. It's something that Apple have done very well with the um, Apple Teacher Learning Center that we've seen such great adoption of the CPD because people are thirsty to learn more and be able to sort of adopt those tools a lot easier by knowing how that they can work in the classroom. So yeah, and I think that learning in your own time, in your own way is important, isn't it? Partly because obviously teachers are incredibly busy, but also that's the way lots of people learn best. You know, you do it and you see it and you go, that's a great idea. And now I can't remember. So the ability to go back and refresh or to do a little bit and then come back to it, it's what we want really for the for our children as well, given, given the opportunity of the system and everything. So I think that sort of learning in that way that you can then sort of mentor and move down has to be a positive thing. Yeah, the fact that you can just pick this up on your device on the sofa, you can actually browse through it in your own time because if you're in, a teacher in the, in the classroom, you're occupied by so many other things that come up, like every day is, is different and sometimes you don't have that time to learn. But if you can break that down and do it at your own pace, it's free, so it doesn't cost anything, so it's not something that uh, schools have got a budget for and send people out of class and then you've got to find cover for them to sort of 
look after their class while someone else is learning. It's, it's, it's super important that they have the ability to do that in their own pace, learn it their own way, but really help adopt it um, over, over being forced to do something as well. And specifically in terms of BET, how do you sort of find the sorts of conversations that you have? Are there people that are coming to find you to say, yes, this has been brilliant for me? You, I guess there's a whole range of people then who haven't come across you before that you're able to help support. It's, it's a kind of a mix, really, because you have those people that know Jamf, and it's like, I'm a user of Jamf, how can I get more from it? And the fact that we can talk about those tools, the Jamf Teacher app, the Jamf Parent app, we can really extend their experience and make sure they're getting the best value of their Apple purchases and really uh, making the use of the device management to all of their personas who uh, really empower student success. Then we've got the people who have had to adopt devices very, very quickly, rolled them out, and now thinking, I need to rethink what my strategy is for this. How do we manage these devices? I've been doing this with plugging cables in. I don't really know the way in which I should do this properly. And those are the conversations where we can educate them on. This is the landscape. This is the process that um, how it can work for you. But also, in partnership, work with them to see how that their vision is to what they want to do with the Apple technology. Where is their pressure points? How can we alleviate some of that? and taking them on this journey so that they can start with just simple management of devices, that the fact that they can get the apps that they need on the devices so that technology becomes just something that happens and it's not a barrier to the learning. And that's something that we want to focus on is the teaching and learning to drive all of this and having those conversations with leadership that come to the stand and talking about what's your vision for learning, we can support that. Having those IT admins that have got more of a technical approach, the integrations in other systems because we've seen that people have adopted various different systems. It's very fragmented. We're trying to get them to mold those together into a very coherent learning experience for students, teachers, and parents. So the fact that we can talk about those integrations with Microsoft and Google on an Apple device to get the best of both, and that's something schools are not always aware of. They think, I need to go down this device route. And really, it's about the teaching and learning and getting the most out of what you can get from deploying correctly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth there. It was that kind of, do you have to have that PC versus Apple conversation and, and like you just said there it's that it's much more blended than that it really isn't just a question of it has to be this one way and this is going to take you down a path that you can't ever get out of it's it's about the learning and like say how you can how you can do that so how, how do some of those conversations start and how do they maybe then start to turn turn so that you can explain the bigger picture it's something that I've done quite a few webinars on actually that's resonated globally as well. So the fact that um, schools who are using Google or Microsoft tools, they've might perhaps been using Google Classroom and they think like, what's the next, next step? And it's, some of that is just educating them to say that you don't have to have a Chromebook. You can do this on an Apple device. It works great. You can get all the benefits of Google and the collaboration and the features that you're used to. But now you've got this Apple ecosystem that's currently going to extend that possibility and empower students even more with the creativity tools, the Swift Playground apps that they've um, and the playgrounds that they've got to show students how to code. The fact that they've got a real true mobile device that they can walk around the classroom. They've got a camera, a stylus. So it really embodies that whole Apple creative learning experience on an ecosystem that embraces um, managed Apple IDs, the security aspect, the accessibility aspect of what you expect with Apple, and then the rollout of what the infrastructure might be in a school, whether that might be Microsoft or Google, so you're getting the best of both, but on an Apple device. Yeah, and, and I have to say, during the pandemic, I was, um, I'm a musician by, by trade, and so I was doing some on Google Classroom, some of it was on Teams, some of it was on Zoom, some of it was on all manner of different platforms, and actually, I hadn't actually thought then about 
but I'm using a Mac to, to do this. It was just kind of, well, it's all just there and I had to just adapt and use whichever one that you that was, was there for that particular school or that particular child. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the students adapt. The students know, like, they have the tools and the fact that we can offer them a choice through either the Champ School student app or self-service, they can actually choose the apps that best meet their learning needs and it's not something that's forced upon them. They can make the choice in their learning, they can make better decisions, they can grow, they can get those 21st century skills which really makes them more um, future-proof for the uh, knowing how to just use the technology that's the right way to use it for them, especially when you've got children who have got English as additional language or they might need it, um, their needs are not met through other means of um, paper resources, the fact that you can turn on accessibility, you can watch video, you've got an interactive whiteboard on your, on your device. All of these different things that can really embrace the power of technology on a device that blends ecosystems and you get the best of um, both. It's not just all in on, on Google, you can actually embrace that Apple ecosystem uh, and use those productivity tools that IT have set up for you as well. One of the things which has been interesting for me today in, in conversations is the sense that there's a sense that we want education to change in some way um, and the system doesn't really work as it is and I think many people would like to wake up tomorrow and it look a little bit different whether it's lots more teaching outside, different classrooms, different curriculums, whatever that happens to be. But the conversation is around how businesses and education work together and, and it seems to be it has to be that blended approach in terms of whether it's the technology that's needed in ed tech within schools whether it's a, a vision for what we want the child to be able to experience and it's not going to change necessarily in a government point of view and it's not going to change by one business it's kind of a collection of all of those things so I'm interested to know your thoughts on you know, how would you see that happening? How do you, can you sort of see a collective group of businesses and edtech organisations coming together to, to sort of voice a, a sort of a way forward? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it starts with the vision and what we see is schools that we work with that actually have a visionary leader that is able to understand what's the need of the child, is able to string it together much better than anyone else. Uh, and I think there is responsibility on the edtech community to make sure they're not creating a tool for the sake of creating a tool. There's a clear understanding of how it weaves into the existing ecosystem. It's hard to do when you're trying to run a profitable business, but I think that's where you can partner with visionary leadership saying, what is it that you're trying to achieve, not in small timescales, but larger timescales, five, 10, 20 years, and make sure that vision is communicated to the teachers, to the staff, bring in the students, bring in the parents, and then go out shopping because otherwise you're going to buy things that just end up in the cupboard in a very short period of time. Yeah, exactly, and, and it is that, you know, with the greatest respect to any fantastic device, it is a tool for what we're trying to do within education. And I'm, I'm the first person to get excited with the next purchase of something I, that I want to use. Um, but I, I kind of think that goes back to the excitement of the learning and, and the, being able to have a message, and, you know, and have a conversation and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm also quite interested in the idea of how how do we get businesses to sort of see that sort of journey between getting children involved in maybe coding or ed tech or whatever it happens to be early on and then getting them into the workforce? Because you'll you know as, as working for a company, you want to be successful and you, you need people that are able to have those skills going through. Um, so what are your thoughts around that? I, I think it's, it's about giving the kids the ability to, or the joy of learning, like imparting that. I think creativity, critical thinking, 
those are the skills that carry through just from early childhood all the way into the workforce. And um, you know, Aaron mentioned earlier, technology needs to be behind the scenes and aid, not the center point of what you give them. It's not about learning the next app, but it's about how do you create collaborative behavior that is preparing them for future work? How do you create the ability to have dialogue? How do you create the ability to problem solve? I think if it's grounded in the right kind of pedagogical concepts, it will carry through and translate well into the real world. Um, chasing after the next shiny tool may not be the best way to do it. So I think it's anchor on what is important, what is going to make them successful in the long term. Yeah. And, and that tool is literally just right in the corner, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an every literally, literally. increasing one. There's a lot of distractions out there and you have to be, as a school leadership, very vigilant about what you need to do yeah. as far as student success. Yeah. And, and, and I love what you said before about the idea of uh, the learning in your own time and the webinars and that kind of thing, because that isn't something that people were doing even just a few short years ago, let alone through the pandemic. And I think that understanding of teachers learning in a different way and then modeling that to the children who obviously just grow up online now as well, but that kind of working together, understanding, ah, from a business point of view, you're able to deliver content in the way that you want to, which is supporting them. And they then in turn take that on board and, and deliver it in the classroom hopefully consciously, but I guess also subconsciously as well. Yeah, and, and you, you, you said it well, which is teachers are used to teaching a certain way, and if you try to replicate that in a digital format, it's not going to be always successful. Not saying it won't be, but it's not probably the best way to transition into a digital workflow. And how you'd start with the instructional level, the curriculum level, and think about how best to leverage these tools you have is a great way to start. Um, we are very familiar with how PDF sheets are handed out for worksheets. Maybe there's a better way to do it on a digital workflow that really leverages powerful devices like Apple devices, the visualization, the interactivity, the touch sensor, the feedback, everything that you can do on a digital device, you can't otherwise do elsewhere. And that is a really, really powerful transition. And I think that's where companies like Jamf and other companies can come in and empower the teachers to actually rise up and learn how they could maybe carry that instruction into the digital age a little more. Thank you both for chatting. I really appreciate your time. And the best of luck for the rest of it. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a real exciting day for me here at BET. Tell us about class and, and tell us a bit about your personal background and how you're involved in the company. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, so, so class is uh, really, I think the, the thing to highlight is um, during the beginnings of the pandemic, we really saw a struggle with students experiencing a quality um, education when, when everybody had to turn to the online um, work. And, and my co-founder, Michael Chasen, who has actually happened to be the one who also started Blackboard, the, the VLE here, um, uh, he, he recognized there was an opportunity to do something better. And so he got some of us together who worked with him at Blackboard. Um, I spent 13 years at, at that VLE company and uh, subsequent years at different um, ed tech startups as well as um, established companies too. And we, we built this technology that takes advantage of Zoom's SDK um, and built a whole new teaching and learning interface. So all the things that lacked in um, Zoom, and it not really lacked, it just wasn't built for, for teaching and learning, um, we were able to, I think, recognize um, what what could be uh, better in that experience, and we built a whole new interface for that uh, that allows you to do, you know, taking it attendance to um, 
assigning um, different content in different breakout rooms so different groups can use different um, content better. Uh, working in you know, collaborative groups to uh, very easily sharing video and, and web content much easier than they're used to. So that's really um, where we came from and where we are now. And, and, and so in terms of how people access it and how they use it, do they sort of go into your platform and Zoom? Is there a part of it? Do they go into Zoom and then... Sure, they, great question. Um, so their experience is holistically class. Um, we, we utilize Zoom's architecture, their audio video codec, um, which is best in breed. Uh, has has proven to be the best out there, um, but all of the experience that the users see is actually class. So they log into they log into class, they open the class application, um, or if it's on a, a web browser, they they you know link into it, um, and then all that experience is directly into class. And um, and that I guess is what people are really looking forward to now, isn't it? Is just making sure it's, it's an easy access that feels familiar and you've got access to all the things that you need in that one space. They, they do, they want to, they, um, you know, teachers don't want to be thrown more stuff, right? Um, and so the, 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 the more cohesive and complementary experience you can give them for what they've already experienced is better for them. We don't want to have to retrain a whole um, community of, of lecturers and teachers, we want them to be able to step into something that they're pretty comfortable with and be able to utilize that to the, to the best of their ability. And I think we've, we've done that. We, we've extended it in different areas where we feel it to be important, um, like lightweight proctoring, and I mentioned the, the extended breakout room features uh, because collaboration is really important and, and group work is also really important. So those, those have um, more uh, robust features with a little bit different interface, but overall, we feel that the, the the consistency of moving from Zoom into class is is very natural, um, and it takes advantage of all the things we learned over these two years, um, and we don't want to lose that. We want to take advantage of all that learning and experience um, to make it better now moving forward. Yeah, and I think that that kind of sense that people really got a sense of this did work, this didn't work, this was literally just a kind of a get around because we had to do it very, yeah. very fast. Um, and now going to the future, actually we can really have a, a great vision and we know how to put it into place. That's a great, great way to, to express it. And and we, we feel the same way. Um, we, we have learned a lot and if, if we just take the position of, well, let's just go back to the way we were, uh, we lose out on all the the positive negatives and everything else that we've experienced. So, so we are we are doing that. We're we're being very introspective um, with ourselves as well as with the the people we're working with to figure out what worked, what didn't, and ultimately um, being able to to recognize what we can put in play that will truly help the teaching and learning experience. This is not to just bring a new technology because we can. Um, and we, we want to do something that's going to truly impact uh, learners and teachers and institutions throughout the world. So we know that going forward, partnerships and um, alliances and working with different people are, are going to be really important as, as these things grow and we want to put the best things in place. And I know you've had an announcement that you've, you, you've just released. So tell us a little bit about how sure. that is. Um, and, and that is important because, uh, you know, they, they, they always say it takes a community. Um, and we believe the same thing in education. We, you know, we can't do it on our own. Um, 
And one of the ways that we, we recognize to, to better ourselves is look at technology partners out there that will, will provide um, accretion, you know, positive value in what we're trying to do. And the one that we, we just announced to, today is the partnership with Intel you know, utilizing all their understanding of their technology and what they built into their own, you know, silicone to deliver a great solution and hardware. Can we leverage that knowledge and understanding to put it into our our software and our experience? And that's what that's what we've done. We've 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 uh, made that partnership with Intel as a as a key pillar of our roadmap moving forward to better ourselves through their knowledge and understanding. And, and I think, I, I love that word roadmap because it, it does feel like you said that we're on a journey and, and there, there's, there's all manner of possibilities within education going forward in terms of whether you call it hybrid learning or blended learning or whatever, it is just learning and whatever solutions we can come up with to get to reach as many people in the way they want to learn has got to be a very positive outcome. And, and I would, like underscore bold italicize they because that's a large group um, and we want to do what they want the way they want to learn and and do what's best for them and that's what that's what we, we want to provide is an experience that is flexible um, and and can really mold its itself in a way that will be positive for each individual unique institution not just here's how we're going to learn now moving forward because of course we're not in that space and institutions and schools are being being kind of pulled around by one organization saying you have to do it this way and others saying you have to do this way and students saying hey no we want it this way you know how can we all make that work part of that is is building a flexible and scalable solution set that can bend and mold to the needs of those schools so they can really take advantage of, of the technology in a way that's important and valuable for them. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And some of the conversations I've had today have been around that kind of the technology, AI, the way that we can structure things that technology can help the learning process based on all those algorithms. But the fact that at the end of the day, the teachers can see exactly what's happening. They can tweak the odd thing. They can put things in place which help that particular student because they've had that conversation today or, or they know a little bit of their history and their background that can support them. And I think it's the, the, the marriage of those two things is going to be the success of everybody. I, I think so. And, and, and the, the one thing I would mention is it doesn't have to be really complex. Um, the one thing we've learned around... The one thing we've learned around social, kind of the social learning and the synchronous side of things, which what, what we do in that live situation, is it'll, it allows us to gain a greater set of data points in that learning process. And so uh, being able to, to recognize that and then make minor tweaks to that delivery in that live setting, um, we believe will prove very valuable for institutions to start making better improvements, not only in in the the way that teachers can teach, but also the way students are digesting that that content and that experience, um, and and that could be as minor as having a a a poll or a survey delivered in the moment of need during a session, rather than the students getting lost and kind of losing focus. You know, we we can make these minor tweaks now. In, in, the, in these live scenarios that we believe will impact the experience much greater 
um, as we move forward. I love it. It's very exciting, and, and I really appreciate your, your enthusiasm for the whole thing. It comes across, and I think, and that's what I love about BET. There's so many people who are so passionate about what they do and the, the, the resources they have and the things that they're building. And, um, and, and just to sort of finish off, you know, what's your experience of BET been, and, and, and what have you sort of got out of it? Sure. Well, you know, I think we're all trying to, to figure out what this experience is because we haven't had it for two years. Um, and, and my, my actually bet experience goes back a long way because I've been in the VLE um, markets for over 20 years. Um, and I think the, the ex, it's great to have bet. It's great to have an opportunity that is structured around the education space. But I think it's unique this year because we haven't had it. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of like tipping your hat to bet. But more importantly, being able to recognize that it's awesome and wonderful just to be together. And I think that's, that's what, what hits home right now is, 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 is not doing this via Zoom where you're in what, your house and I'm in my house, but we're actually sitting around a table having a discussion and talking together, I think is the, the greatest component of, of the event this year. Yeah. I love it. And like I say, that personal interaction you can't get in any other way. And even if it's just an aside before you start recording or like you say, it's something that comes up because you sort of have a shared something which you wouldn't have known about if it's like you say, camera on, off you go and, and that. And I think that's where this blended idea of learning is, is absolutely brilliant because you get the best of both worlds. And yep. Person to person and relationships are the way forward in everything we do. So thank you so much for chatting. I've really appreciated it. You're welcome. It. it was a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Please introduce yourself. Tell us what it is that you're, you're doing here at BET. Sure. So my name's Hayley Mills. I am a senior strategic account manager here at Botanica. Um, and my role involves looking after our large kind of ministry clients and some of the different um, strategic accounts that we are kind of launching as well. So for those people who have a recollection of, of what they perceive the organization to be in terms of I mean certainly for my for my age group anyway that kind of sense of if we had an entire collection at home we could just get and find out everything that we want we wanted it to be and obviously these days with, with the online content and the way that you're working so sort of walk us through that gap a little bit in terms of you know sort of pre-internet as it were in terms of what the company was like compared to sort of how it is that you work today. Yeah, so we came from a very traditional, I would say, the first sort of educational publisher. So we've been around for over 250 years now. Um, and you're absolutely right, most people will remember us as kind of big books on a, on a shelf and a really, but still remember the brand as being a very trustworthy source of information. And that's something which we still very much stand by. Um, we want and feel that there's more of a place than ever for true reliable content for young people and for educators um, recent events have just highlighted that more than ever and that's essentially why we've moved into the digital space to fill that quite immediate and ongoing um, need there and it seems to me as a parent as well that that sense of fake news that sense of just you can get an answer to anything straight away but it's not necessarily backed up with anything like you said and actually what you're able to provide is, is all that history, all that support, all that kind of knowledge of safety, I guess. And, 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 and so how, how are you sort of like taking that into schools? How are you kind of getting that message across? Because I guess there may well be some children who 
the name's not so familiar as it would have been, like, say, for my generation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we parents, guardians and teachers, they connect with the brand. They remember um, using it as a, as a child um, or within that kind of academic institution. But for young people, we're trying to kind of make noise in, in different areas. So um, we've actually started some podcasts. We've done um, a brilliant TikTok channel, which has been extremely popular. Um, and that's a really good way of connecting the message of sort of reliable news to that younger age group. So we've done a partnership with YouTube a couple of years ago. So any videos that attracted kind of conspiracy theories um, or fake news, we actually would have a kind of Britannica explanation. So that's a really good example of how we've tried to reach students where they are with that really credible, trustworthy information so that when they see that their school has Britannica, they can make a connection um, there to something that they know as well. And, and what does it look like in terms, like I said, if they see it in school, what does that look like? to that person as they arrive at it in, in that situation? Yeah, so in the school sector, we essentially sit where their internet would sit. So it's their go-to place. Instead of going to Google, they're going to Britannica. They're carrying out research. It might be um, mixed media content for their lessons. It might be sitting within our video platform. There's all sorts of different areas that we might sit. But ultimately, that's that's the aim, is to be become the safe educational alternative to Google. And it's to be that habitual to students, that they just go to that reliable place. They get in that habit of understanding that going to a trustworthy source is key for their research. Um, and again, likewise, we're, we're kind of reiterating the whole way um, that they need to cite that information. They need to gain those really important citation and referencing skills before they move on to further education um, and beyond as well. And, and I love the touch points because like you say you know th there is a time and a place where it needs to be official as it were like you say I'm going to a trusted site where I can get the information which I know is really important but also to be able to get that information out like say on TikTok um, and YouTube wherever they might come across it in a situation where they've come across it rather than are actively looking for it, I think it's fantastic because like you say, once you start to bridge that gap, you have the, the history also with the, the, the modern concept as well and like you say, being able to get their get their um, their insight and their uptake without even thinking about it because of course, you know, social media is exactly where they're spending most of their time. Yeah, yeah, and another area that we've done that is with um, our Google Chrome extension which is called Britannica Insights. So when a school subscribes to Britannica or... Um, in the cases of some of our national contracts, so for instance, Ireland, where everyone has access to Britannica, they can go to Google and do a search. And even if they weren't aware that they had access to Britannica, their school has set it up in a way that it straight away pings the Britannica Insights kind of um, badge at the top to direct them straight away to that credible resource. So rather than them seeing just kind of any old website, they're getting Britannica at the fore, you know, at the forefront of their search, which is a really key way of just putting it in front of students, making it really easy and accessible. Um, and then the next time they were to do a search, hopefully they'll remember that they got really useful information from Britannica, and it becomes then a bit more of their kind of daily practice. That's the aim. I think one of the other themes that I've come across is the fact that people are wanting to be working in a more collaborative way they're wanting partnerships they're wanting this sense that we're all supporting children as best we can whether we're an ed tech company whether we're a teacher whether we're a group of schools whatever it happens to be we're all trying to do the best we can and we know that we can't do that on our own we need the ongoing support and trust um, and innovation of things so tell us about the sorts of partnerships that you've been involved in 
Yeah, so one of the more recent partnerships we've launched is with Dynabook. So they are a device provider to schools and colleges. Um, and I think both of us understood when we connected that there was a real value in the partnership because they're delivering the kind of devices to schools, but it's not really much good to them if they don't have content. And likewise, we've got this content, but if students have their own one-to-one -one devices, it's going to make the use and implementation of our content so much more powerful. So we really are, are kind of doing our bit to, to promote that here at BET. And it's been also really interesting to meet other potential partners um, in lots of different territories that we can connect with and look at how that might make Britannica more kind of accessible to students as well. And, and how do you sort of see that partnership working? Is it a question of sort of saying, oh, would you have this opportunity to, to have this access to something which might support however many children that you weren't able to support anyway? Yes, it was actually a really straightforward um, kind of initiative. So essentially anyone who, any school who purchases a Dynabook device um, will get the option to just install Britannica. So it's a very straightforward uh, process, but they will then get support from us, our side, account management, any setup we can support. And then likewise, any school that comes to us who um, already is an existing Britannica user or is interested in having devices, then we'll have that initiative and that kind of um, incentive to use Dynabook because the two platforms work so well together. So that's kind of um, my best recommendation is just to go to our website and have a look at the Dynabook information and it's all very straightforward from there. Um, and, and, and how are you finding BET itself in terms of what sort of conversations are you having or, or what sort of insights have you gained that's different than just like say working from home or working from the office like we have been for the last couple of years? Yeah I think all of us have found it to be a really nice refreshing change you know obviously having those conversations face to face I think as well we've noticed that people are coming and wanting to have more detailed conversations people have a good understanding now of the need for online resources for safe resources and they also have kind of platforms that are already put in place so I think compared to previous years at BET we're finding that people are coming with a certain level of digital competency now and they're very much looking at, okay, I need, I need content or I need something that works on this platform or this device. So we're finding it an easier conversation in a way because people are a bit more prepared maybe than they would have been a couple of years ago. And they certainly appreciate the need for trustworthy content as well. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, and I think that it's been, an, it's been a very interesting um, day for me because I, I think that's been that sense of real purpose. You know, like I say, everybody's been online. Everyone knows that that's such an important part of education now. We're not going to return to being not online at all and it just being face to face. But I think being intentional now about exactly, like you say, those sort of building blocks of what you want that content to be, where you're going to get it from, the sorts of organisations you want to have relationships with on an ongoing basis. And um, I think it's a very positive message which has come out from the whole day. So thanks so much for chatting to me. I really, really yeah, appreciate it no and, and enjoy the rest of the time here. Thank you. Thanks very much. So that brings us to the end of our Live From Bet episode. I really hope you enjoyed listening to all the different conversations and also got a flavour for the sorts of things and the dialogue that was happening, both in terms of the people that were there and also some of the events that were going on. 
I really hope it turns into a sort of some tangible things that supports people working in schools and for the children directly so that it can really help their learning in all these different skills that we've been talking about. Um, and a quick thank you to Anna, who organised the ComZ meetup after after all these interviews were done. It was fantastic to meet so many people that I deal with and, and communicate with online, but obviously fantastic to be there face-to-face and be able to have a proper conversation and, about some of the amazing things that we're able to share with you. So thanks very much to her for doing that. And one final thing just to say, look forward to coming back and being with you on May the 2nd. That's when we're going to be doing our special 250th episode. Can't wait to share that with you. It's a fantastic conversation and really sort of hinges on the arts, which of course is so important to me as a a passionate musician. So thanks very much for listening and I look forward to being back with you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.